This message comes from NPR sponsor, Acorn TV. Acorn TV is brilliant television told brilliantly. From charmingly cozy mysteries to daringly dark dramas. Visit acorn.tv for a 30-day free trial with promo code NPR. Acorn TV. Brilliant. With writers and actors on strike, much of television has ground to a halt, including Late Night. But if you miss Late Night hosts, a group of them came up with a new gig. Jimmy Kimmel, Seth Meyers, Stephen Colbert, John Oliver, and Jimmy Fallon recently started the chat podcast Strike Force 5 to raise money to support their staff. Shortly after it launched, a big story in Rolling Stone outlined allegations of erratic and aggressive behavior by Jimmy Fallon and a generally terrible working environment at The Tonight Show. So now this already unusual project finds itself in an awkward position. I'm Linda Holmes, and on this episode of NPR's Pop Culture Happy Hour, we're talking about Jimmy Fallon and the Strike Force 5 podcast. Support for NPR and the following message come from our sponsor, Whole Foods Market. Planning a party or honoring a recent grad? Whatever the celebration, Whole Foods Market can make things easy, starting with some delicious marinated steaks, always antibiotic and hormone-free. Simple and easy eats are ready in the prepared foods department. And for dessert, how about a luscious berry chantilly cake? Not in the mood to cook? Their catering menu offers festive options ready to order online at shop.wfm.com. Start every celebration at Whole Foods Market. Support for this podcast and the following message come from Third Love. Third Love makes solutions for every bra problem. Give yourself more lift, smoothing, and get straps that stay put. Every style's wear-tested on real women, made from premium materials, with a virtual fitting room to help you find your perfect fit. Comfort and support are guaranteed. It's time to get your problem solved. Visit thirdlove.com and get $15 off your order with code PODCAST15. Humans are kind of overrated. Over on Shortwave, a science podcast, we're only kind of kidding. We're bringing you the wondrous world of animal science to your daily life. From queer animal love stories to songbird memories, we're showing you how critter knowledge informs human science. Listen now to Shortwave, a podcast from NPR. Joining me today is NPR's TV critic, Eric Deggins. Hi, Eric. Welcome back. Hey, do I get to make the thunder sound effect every time you say Strike Force 5? I really want to do that. I mean, I feel like we should. Yeah, if you listen to the podcast, every time anyone says the word Strike Force 5, there's a sound of thunder crashing. So you can always reliably hear that every time. And now I'm conditioned to hear it. So as we said in the intro, Strike Force 5 is a podcast that Jimmy Kimmel, Stephen Colbert, John Oliver, Seth Meyers, and Jimmy Fallon started together where they all have a big roundtable chat on Zoom. They started it to raise money to support their staffs that aren't working during the writers and actors strikes, particularly the writers with regard to these shows. It launched on August 30th. And just a little over a week later, Rolling Stone published an investigation about the working environment at The Tonight Show. They talked to current and former Tonight Show staff who talked about Jimmy Fallon having outbursts and berating staffers. The investigation cited the fact that there have been rumors about Fallon and drinking for a while now, which Fallon denied in a New York Times profile. Rolling Stone also writes about the fact that there's been a series of showrunners who didn't stay very long. The podcast originally had a deal to make 12 episodes. They've dropped three as we record this Monday at about 20 to noon. It's not clear how many of these episodes were pre-recorded. We don't know if they're still taping anything. 
But what's supposed to be this very, like, chatty and good-natured conversation, very friendly and buddy-buddy among these hosts, now has this very weird pall over it. Since it's kind of bizarre for them to go on as before, but it's hard to imagine them digging into it, I feel like. Fallon reportedly issued a pretty general apology to staff after the Rolling Stone piece dropped, but he hasn't publicly said anything or addressed the specific allegations again as of this taping. So, Eric, I do want to talk about Fallon. I think we have to. I don't think any of this is a huge shock, particularly this kind of general and cautious, you know, these references to rumors about him drinking. But it it really does not sound like a good environment there. It's awfully early to know what any fallout from this might be. What, what do you think the future holds for that situation? Well, it's so bizarre. I mean, one of the things that I sort of noted when we were exchanging emails to sort of decide how to talk about this was that I thought it was interesting that on uh, Strike Force 5, when Kimmel and Colbert talked about how many staffers they had on their shows, Fallon seemed to be the only host who was sort of vague about how many people worked for him. How many staff members do you guys have? I have 210. I have 181 Regular staff members, 17 writers, and then a lot of crew. I have 305 or something. And was also kind of vague about showrunners. I just thought it was bizarre given how deeply involved every host generally is in what they do. And, you know, I'm a talk show nerd and I've been covering late night talk shows for a long time. I have interviewed a, a lot of these guys And the thing that is true about all of these shows is that they are tough. They are tough to work on, even Mm -hmm. when the hosts are nice people and they're good bosses. So when the host is a bad boss, it can be a nightmare. David Letterman is a perfect example of that. And he's admitted that he was very neurotic when he was making his show, when he was on NBC and CBS, and that he was hard on himself. So he was hard on his staff. You know, uh, Nell Scovel, a a really great writer, put out a memoir. She uh, was a writer on Late Night with David Letterman for a while, and she Mm -hmm. talked about what a nightmare it was. So this has a long tradition, and Jimmy comes from Saturday Night Live, which also has the tradition of having a somewhat abusive workplace that was uh, sort of outlined most recently in the book Burn It Down. So in a way, it's not a surprise, but I do think that at this moment, We are paying very close attention to abusive workplaces in Hollywood. And so this Fallon situation deserves some more scrutiny, I think. Yeah, it was interesting to me reading these allegations because when you see these workplace sort of expose investigations, I guess I would say – It's very common to see pictures of a kind of viciousness that I don't know if it necessarily came through as much in this. These are not allegations about predation or things like that. They are allegations, a lot of it about, I think the word erratic, you know, that we've already mentioned seems to be the one that comes up over and over again. And that it just seems like things are not good with him. It's not necessarily people saying I can't stand him. He's a terrible person, but he seems to be, as you said, not a good boss. And I, too, thought about Burn It Down and thought about Saturday Night Live and thought about how deep the tentacles of Lorne Michaels are in terms of his attachment to so much of comedy still. He's an executive producer on The Tonight Show. He's still very closely connected to lots of other projects. And so, you know, it is interesting to to think about that kind of web of influence. I think that's an excellent point because one of the big 
ideas at the heart of a lot of these stories, and particularly, again, Burn It Down, the book that you know our friend uh, Maureen Ryan wrote, is that there is a, a habit, a way of doing things that's become acceptable mm-hmm. in Hollywood. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, and Saturday Night Live is a shining example of a way of working that in any other workplace would be considered abusive. Making yeah. people stay till two and three in the morning regularly and just saying, suck it up. Or this idea that, you know, people join the staff and people don't even tell them where the bathrooms are. So it's not necessarily a surprise that somebody who came from that environment and then goes on to uh, lead a different show, but, you know, in a similar vein, making a TV show that instead of doing it, you know, once a week uh, for a certain amount of time, they're doing it five nights a week. Right. It's not a, a long stretch to consider that maybe some bad habits got imported and maybe this person doesn't exactly know what a really functional and respectful workplace might be. Yeah, I think that's right. In terms of the podcast itself, you know, maybe understandably, they have not been super transparent about exactly like when are these all being recorded. It's not necessarily something that they're doing entirely as they go, although they've referred enough to recent enough news that I'm not sure they banked, you know, the whole set of 12 that was originally ordered before any of this started, but I don't know. But the thing that's interesting is regardless, it would feel very odd right now to have them continue to drop episodes, even if they were pre-recorded, to just kind of drop episodes where everybody is buddy-buddy and chatting about their staff and how much they care about them and want to support them, which is sort of one of the underlying ideas of the show. Without addressing this, like I don't, I don't know what you do. Yeah, it's a really weird situation to be in, and it's even weirder if you're someone who has been a student of late night TV for a while. You know that back in the day when Johnny Carson was hosting the Tonight Show, and even later when David Letterman and Jay Leno were competing against each other. These late night hosts rarely got along like this. Mm-hmm. The prevailing ethic was more competition, trying to undercut each other. You know, one way that Johnny Carson kept competition from The Tonight Show from even existing was by blackballing people if they did other shows. So if you did yeah. another show, you couldn't come on The Tonight Show. Yeah. So to have a situation where five late night hosts who ostensibly compete against each other are all being friendly, that requires a tremendous amount of detente. <laughs> and yeah, so, yeah. And so, yeah. and if you listen to the episodes that are out there, you can see them very tenderly walking around each other and not trying to bring up anything that embarrasses the other person or belittles right. the other person or in any way suggests that they are setting themselves ahead of the other people. And so I don't expect to hear anything about this Rolling Stone story during this podcast for that reason. That's interesting. I mean, I guess I don't either, but... It seems so strange to go on without talking about it. I mean, truly, we're just going to have to see what they do. I think in terms of the podcast, you make such an interesting point because to me, one of the reasons that I thought about, about like, why are they able to be like this now is that as you and I have spoken about on, you know, different occasions about different things, the pie that late night hosts are cutting up is much smaller than it used to be. There is no longer anybody who's going to be Johnny Carson, right? That idea of a single king of late night that everybody's going to sit down and and watch when the show is on. We don't have that anymore. So maybe they're not being such a big prize to even kind of jealously <laughs> attempt to nab for yourself 
Maybe that makes people more able to be less competitive. Maybe it's personalities. I don't know. You have also written quite a bit about the whiteness and maleness of most of the big platforms in late night, which is certainly underscored by the existence of this podcast. My take on how they have dealt with that is like they sort of glancingly mention it almost in a way where they feel like they have to. How do you feel listening to them kind of chat in that context? If you listen to the Strike Force 5 podcast, there's three episodes as we record this. You will not hear the voice of a non-white person or the voice of a woman. And that includes promotional <laughs> announcements mm-hmm, in mm-hmm. the announcer who's John Hamm. Mm-hmm. So even in some places where they could have brought in a different kind of voice, they didn't. Uh, they brought yeah. in their friends who are also yeah. middle-aged white guys. Yeah, And this is something that hangs over a lot of areas of show business where people just kind of accept the dominance of a certain group and don't challenge it at all. And I mean, you know, why couldn't they have done a strike four, six podcast and invited, you know, Amber Ruffin to be a part of it? You know what I mean? It, if they wanted to, they could have figured out a way to structure this so it wasn't like that and they didn't. Yeah. So that's one thing that strikes me. But to me, this whole podcast, the fact that it exists is testament to how much less powerful late night TV is right now. Exactly. It's exactly. hard to explain, especially, you know, to the young people who might be listening to this podcast. When Johnny Carson had a comic on his show to do mm-hmm. five minutes, once or twice, that person's career was made. They became mm-hmm. superstars. That's how mm-hmm. Tim Allen and Roseanne Barr and Jerry Seinfeld, Drew Carey, and all these people that we view as sort of comedy gods, that's how they got their start. They did one or two or three spots on Carson, and then they got a TV show and they became superstars. And he would give kind of his personal stamp of approval, particularly right. if he would call you over and have you sit on the couch after you do your set. Right. You know, there was this sense that he would actually give almost like a blessing from, you know, this very high up place. Right. And then uh, the rest of Hollywood would take notice and then, you know, opportunities would flow from that. So obviously that doesn't exist anymore, but we're at a different time now. Mm -hmm. So Mm -hmm. what's frustrating about this podcast is that the great stuff, the interesting stuff about it almost happens in in the margins. Mm -hmm. Like Fallon Mm -hmm. says at one point that his debut was undercut by David Letterman. We booked you two and we're so excited. It was Robert De Niro and you two. And then Bono... Uh, called me and apologized because Letterman off- offered you two three nights in a row and took them uh, booking, took them from us. So these modern guys would never do something like that as openly. It may happen sort of subtly right. behind the scenes between agents and, and people like that. But publicly, they act as if they don't do those kind of things anymore, mm-hmm. that they are friendly. That it's a friendly competition. And so... I just think the the modern environment wouldn't tolerate one of them being like that. Yeah. None of them individually are powerful enough to do that and then risk being shunned by everybody else. So yeah. it's just it's forced everyone to be nicer. Like I said, I've met a, a, a many of these guys and and it just seems like it's not who they are either. I don't think 
you know, John Oliver or Stephen Colbert or Seth Meyers, I don't think it's in their constitution to be competitive in that way. Yeah. But still, you know, the tenor of the times doesn't allow it either. And it's interesting to see, I think because they all are trying to compete nicely, it also makes this podcast really hard to be interesting. It is hard to get them to talk turkey about what their life really is like, what their competition is really like, what it's like to do these shows. And that's when the podcast gets interesting, is when they actually talk about stuff like that, when they call out guests for being boring or for being hard to deal with, or when they talk about how they have sample chairs, they have chairs backstage that are just like the chairs you'll sit in when you come out on stage so that the guests can sit in the chair and make sure they look cool when they come in and sit down. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. which I, you know, as a late night nerd, I was like, I kind of knew that. And, but, but to hear them reaffirm right. it was like, oh right. man, that's interesting. And there's not enough moments like that in this podcast because they are too busy being nice to each other and bantering about stuff that just does not matter. Yeah. I have the same feeling that every once in a while they wander into like a really interesting piece of backstage talk like that that is interesting. The other thing that I do sometimes like is sometimes when they get into a good groove of like just the same kind of silly stuff that people do on other podcasts, sometimes weirdly when the stakes are super low, it actually is fun to listen to just because it's a different setting for those guys. So for example, they I think it was Colbert who was running it. They had a thing where he was reading like Yelp reviews of being in the audience right. and they were supposed to guess which show the thing was about. Yeah. This was so fun, so much better than Stephen Colbert. <laughs> the waiting area was so comfortable. Loved this show and the host is so awesome. That's definitely not us. Our waiting area is like Hitler's bunker. So we're out. NBC has a nice waiting area. It's it's Jimmy or me. (laughs) Those kinds of details I do think are really fun because it's almost like a workplace show. And when it can become a workplace show, even around those like little things, I sort of enjoyed hearing Seth Meyers talk about the set that they used at the beginning and how they changed it. Those kind of nitty gritty workplace things where you talk about what it's like to do this job, just like people might talk about what it's like to do any job. And that can be an interesting conversation. I do like that. It's funny. I am typically not a person who listens to podcasts on an accelerated speed. It's just not my thing. I'm not a 1.5x person. This show, sometimes 1.5x is fine (laughs) for me. You made mention of the other voices that you hear. They spend a lot of time as they you would expect, partly because the show is raising money for, you know, the the staffs. They spend a lot of time on these sponsorship deals that they have with Ryan Reynolds companies, and they sort of spend a lot of time in that world. And I, again, that's all 1.5x for me. I don't need to hear all these guys talk about Ryan Reynolds companies a bunch of times. Yeah. But I do find little nuggets in it that I think are fun. There's gold in there if you can sift through yeah. you know, all the weird banter and stuff that doesn't go anywhere. Like the second episode was about first shows. So they were talking Mm -hmm. about what it was like to do the very first edition of whatever show they did. Colbert talked about how in his very first show as host of The Late Show, they had trouble exporting the very first segment of the show from an editing machine Mm -hmm. so they could actually air it on CBS. If anybody's got to call the head of CBS and say, we don't have a show tonight, my first show we don't have. 
mm-hmm. got to do it. Right. <laughs> and, and so he has to right. sit there and hope that this workaround actually works. And it actually did. And I'd never heard that story before. Right. And, and, and again, that's him sort of learning how hectic these environments always are, as you mentioned earlier, like that it's not that unusual to have to do something at the last minute. They know how to do that. It's always crazy. It's always chaotic, you know? Right. And whenever they talk about doing what they do on their shows, that to me is when it really gets interesting. Yeah. Because when you're doing a show five days a week, that's pretty much what you do. Mm -hmm, (laughs) mm -hmm, They don't mm -hmm. have much of a life outside of, uh, you know, doing these shows. So those kind of things were all great to hear. But when they start, you know, talking about what grills they use to make food. <laughs> guys eh, talking guys, grills, man. Dude, brother, you know, the rest of us don't find it all that compelling. Yeah, that's true. So, yeah, I, I think there's a lot here for late night, you know, enthusiasts. And I will be very curious to see how it plays out from from here on out and if they just decide they're going to just coast past this Rolling Stone thing, which maybe you're right. Maybe that's what they're going to do. We shall see. Well, we want to know what you think about the podcast Strike Force 5. <laughs> Find us at Facebook.com slash PCHH. That brings us to the end of our show. Eric Deggins, thank you so much for being here. I would not have wanted to talk about this with anyone but you. Oh, thank you so much. Finally, all these years of being a late night TV nerd have paid off. Absolutely. Absolutely. This episode is produced by Mike Katziff and edited by Jessica Reedy. Hello, Come In provides our theme music. Thank you for listening to Pop Culture Happy Hour from NPR. I'm Linda Holmes, and we'll see you all tomorrow. Support for NPR and the following message come from State Farm. As a State Farm agent and agency owner, Lakeisha Gaines is passionate about empowering other small businesses. In the last several years, there are more business owners than we can count. Businesses are opening up quite frequently. And I think that shows the need, the dreams, and the desires of the community to have the independence and to have the financial freedom that's important to them. The reason why it's so important to me to be out there to share information and to educate the community is because I know that a dream doesn't always help you to be successful. You need the competency, you need the wisdom, you need the knowledge. That's where we come in as State Farm agents, our ability to be able to teach over 100 years of experience in this world to say, hey, we got you. You got this and we got this. Let's do it together. Talk to your local agent about small business insurance from State Farm. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. This message comes from NPR sponsor Capital One. With the Spark Cash Plus card, you earn unlimited 2% cash back on every purchase for your business. Find out more at CapitalOne.com slash Spark Cash Plus. Terms and conditions apply. The day's top headlines, local stories from your community, your next podcast binge listen. You can have it all in one place, your pocket. Download the NPR app today.